Hello, it's Wednesday, December the 22nd. This is the Andrew Pearce Show, coming as ever from the Daily Mail newsroom. Coming up... What are you going to do if the parcel you've ordered, a Christmas gift, doesn't turn up or goes missing completely? Trains are the latest to be hit by the Omicron variant. If you are going to travel on a train, best thing is to check in advance if your service is running. The Charters announced cash for the hard-hit hospitality industry, but is it anything like enough? In England, the Covid isolation period has been cut from 10 to 7 days. They're doing things differently in Scotland, so who is right? Boris Johnson or Scotland's Nicola Sturgeon? So in England, the quarantine period for people who've been struck down with, with the Omicron variant has been cut from 10 to 7 days, provided people have two clear PCR tests on the 6th and 7th day. But in Scotland, the First Minister, uh, Nicola Sturgeon, is tightening the rules north of the border. So, who's got it right? Joining me now to discuss this is uh, the Lib Dem MP for Edinburgh West, Christine Jardine. Christine, if you could just explain, first of all, how the rules are are going to be different in Scotland compared to England. Well, the, the first thing to remember is that Scotland hasn't got it right either. We've had, we've had terrible problems up here. Um, and in the last seven days, the latest figures show that 700,000 people have done lateral flow tests because they think they might have COVID-19, either Delta or Omicron. And we've had um, events here where there have been uh, huge um, in, infection rates. So we haven't got it right in Scotland either. They are different. But um, we still have problems. We have a ludicrous situation in Scotland where the Deputy First Minister has said there will be no football on Boxing Day. That's fine, we all accept that. But the strange thing is the football will go ahead this evening. So, you know, where is the logic in that? Um, they've been different throughout. Um, Scotland has always been slightly different from England. For example, I was in London two weeks ago and was pinged. Um, and I followed the Scottish regulations rather than the English ones because I'm more familiar with them. And I stayed at home until I got the negative PCR test, whereas the English regulations were telling me that I didn't need to self-isolate. Um, and the situation we're in, in in Scotland now is that if someone in your household um, has um, a positive PRC, PCR test, then you have to um, you have to um, isolate. You all have to isolate. But at the same time, um, you can still go to a bar. So we're all very we're all very confused. I have to say about the regulations in Scotland as much as we are in England. Um, we all accept um, that we we do need to be clamping down. We do need to recognise that this virus is rampant now and that um, we have to take action to stop it but there is a certain lack of clarity from both governments about what exactly it is they want people to do. And in Scotland um, it has had at times has it not um, Christine the worst infection rate in the whole of the EU? Oh yes um, it, it has I mean at times it's been you know horrific here in Scotland the, the rates that we've had and we had one incident right at the beginning where there was one event in, in Edinburgh at the International Conference Centre where we had a super spreader event and no one was told about it afterwards, you know, and nothing was done to clamp down on it. And we were very worried about COP26, which um, had, you know, does seem to have passed because the, the regulations were incredibly strict then and it was just before Omicron. It does seem to, that does seem to have been a success. But we have had 
we've had a terrible time in Scotland. Um, the, the care home deaths have been appalling, uh, the number of people in care homes who were infected. So the problems have been very, very similar throughout the UK. And although the regulations have been um, different in Scotland and stricter for most of the time, we still managed to have, as you said, the highest infection rate in Europe at one point. And what of the um, decision now in England today, the, 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 the government has, has relaxed the uh, rules on uh, how long you isolate for at home, not least because they're very concerned about staff shortages, especially in the NHS, uh, because so many people are going down with this wretched variant. It's being reduced from 10 to 7 days. Do you think that is safe? Would you agree with that? Would you like that to happen in Scotland? I would follow the scientific evidence always, and the government should be following which says what SAGE says and the advice that SAGE gives it. That's what they're there for. And um, yes, I appreciate, I also appreciate, if you like, that this is a very difficult situation because the economy now um, is going to be very hard hit by what's happening with the staff shortages. We're going to see um, all our public services stretched, our transport stretched, retail stretched, because so many people are being infected at the one time. I, I get that, but I think what the government needs to do is to be looking at how they can help get us out of this, how they can support um, the high streets. Our high street businesses are going to suffer. Um, I said at the time that they'd withdrawn for a little too soon. We didn't know what was coming in the winter, and here we are. Um, business needs support now. Hospitality is struggling. It's not the only sector, though. Um, high street businesses are struggling. They need online. They need support. You know, the online giants um, are, are, you know, they're making a fortune again this Christmas because we are not comfortable going out shopping. So the government needs to do something to create a level playing field for those businesses that don't have a big online presence, uh, you know, a way to help them. Um, but they're not doing that. And uh, yet again, I think this government is, um, it seems to be bunkered down and thinking more about its, its, you know, its own internal problems. It seems to be obsessed with them um, rather than giving the country the lead it needs, giving the economy the support it needs and giving us all some direction for 2022 and, and what we can expect. Can I ask you just finally too, the schools are of course they're on holiday now, are you concerned if, because um, uh, we've heard from the First Minister in Wales saying he's expecting a dramatic increase in Wales uh, of, of, the new, of people suffering from the new variant but equally he says he can see that it will, the numbers will fall very quickly too but are you concerned that schools could be impacted yet again with what would then be pretty disastrous consequences for the children involved? Oh I think our, our children up and down the country have already had um, a disastrous, a disastrous almost two years now. Um, the number of hours collectively that our children have lost is more than 800 million pounds. What the government should have done at the budget and what they should be doing now is looking at a way of providing the funding to enable our children to get the, the catch-up time, the, the, the education that they've missed. Um, I mean, they only provided a third of what their own advisor told them they should do. They, they're providing um, five instead of 15 million. I mean, billion, sorry. I mean, it's just outrageous. And actually, what we need at the moment, what we need the government to do is recall Parliament and have an emergency budget because the economy, our education, our lives are going to be so severely affected if everything the government is telling us about this, this virus, this latest um, uh, variant is true that we need some emergency help, we need it now, we need them not to do what they have done throughout this pandemic, 
and dither and delay. We need something definite now. We need some decisive action and we need recall and some emergency budget measures from the Chancellor. And when do you want Parliament recall? Before Christmas or after? As soon as possible. Um, it, I mean, the other question, of course, which comes up about that is bringing everybody from all over the country into London and then, you know, potentially infecting us. You could do it virtually, couldn't you? But we should be able to do it virtually. And that is what they need to do. They, you know, we need to be, they need to be talking to the Speaker now um, and looking at how they can, they can recall Parliament. Um, if not, we only have um, a couple of days left this week, so if not this week, then certainly between Christmas and New Year. And the Scottish Parliament, again, there's a difference. The Scottish Parliament is likely to be recalled, and they're being open about the fact that it's likely to be recalled. You know, the UK Parliament should be looking at the well-being of everybody in this country at every possible opportunity. I have no objection to having my Christmas interrupted um, by a recall of Parliament. I would rather that than be sitting here a year from now going through it again and lamenting the fact that we didn't act and the government didn't act decisively when it was needed. That's Christine Jardine. She's the Lib Dem MP for Edinburgh West. Thanks for joining us. Visit mailplus.co.uk to listen to The Andrew Pearce Show for free in full along with our podcasts and video series. Remember to tell your Alexa speaker to play Daily Mail News. So after days of pressure, the Treasury has finally announced a support package for hospitality businesses. Rishi Sunak's pledged £1 billion, which includes £6,000 grants and a pledge to pay statutory sick pay for eligible businesses, which comes in support, he says, Chancellor Rishi Sunak, to existing support such as reduced business rates and in some cases reduced VAT. So is it enough? Joining me now is Kate Nichols, who's Chief Executive of UK Hospitality. Kate, I heard one businessman, or was it a businesswoman, saying it will cost him £10,000 to close down his business, £10,000 to reopen it, and he's being offered offered £6,000 by the government. Yes, there is undoubtedly the fact that that this package, however generous as a whole it might be, including in it not only £1 billion for hospitality, but £1.5 billion for our supply chain and, and businesses that are not directly supported through the hospitality grant, but are nevertheless within tourism and hospitality sector. Um, This is undoubtedly not going to be enough to compensate for the loss of Christmas trade, but it is a very welcome temporary short-term emergency stopgap measure to be able to provide some much-needed cash to businesses that were facing a real cash flow squeeze at the end of this year. Uh, And clearly there will need to be ongoing dialogue should we move, unfortunately, to a situation where restrictions or lockdown are required, then there will need to be an ongoing dialogue about how you can support the sector through that and into recovery. It must be a worry that um, some businesses um, may not recover from this, Kate, because um, particularly if you're in hospitality, uh, December is easily the busiest month of the year. Uh, Perhaps the first few days of January are too. And that business has gone up and down the country. Town centres are pretty deserted, aren't they? Uh, So are you concerned that some businesses will close and not reopen? We are hugely concerned about that. Yes, you're right. We've seen a 40 to 60% drop-off in, in revenue over the course of December. December is, is not only our busiest trading period. We, the revenue that we generate um, in December is the equivalent to two to three months of normal trading, but it's also our most profitable period. And the profits we generate in December are what us get through the, the, the next quarter, January, February, March, when people traditionally don't go out as much, and we do make a loss. So the, the loss of December is 
is disproportionate to the number of weeks and days that, that we are, are seeing restricted trading or trading falling. Um, so, so that is an acute area of concern for us, which is why we need to make sure that hospitality is not just supported now at this temporary emergency measure, but into a recovery period. Today's economic figures, the, the GDP growth in, in July to September, although it's anemic, was almost entirely generated by hospitality. So there is no economic recovery without hospitality recovery. That's why we were pleased the Chancellor's prioritised the sector for emergency support. And we need to make sure we do more so that we don't lose those vital community assets, neighbourhood restaurants, community pubs and town centre businesses that bring light and life to our high streets. Indeed. And just finally, Kate, although we're not supposed to be in lockdown, it does rather feel like we are in lockdown, If you're particularly if you're working in the hospitality industry. Uh, it does indeed. I mean, I think that the mismatch between the, 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 the political policy and the restrictions that we've got in place and the economic reality that many of our members are experiencing, which is bleak at the moment, it is caused by that crash of consumer confidence last week. The, the fear around Omicron virus circulating and the restrictions that are being imposed around the rest of the world really cooling off what people's desire to go out and people are hunkering down and, and, and spending more time in their own homes. So we very much hope that we can work to rebuild that consumer confidence and that the, the news that comes out, the data that comes out, shows that we can lift these restrictions as rapidly as they have been imposed. All right, that's Kate Nichols, who's the Chief Executive of UK Hospitality. Visit mailplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to our podcast, videos, opinion pieces and much more. If you want to get in touch, tweet us at mailplus or me at Tory Boy Pierce. So the Omicron virus continues to spread and it's causing staff shortages across the country. Rail services are among, among those most impacted. Rail operators have war- announced warnings of delays and cancellations to services ahead of Christmas. And that's not least because they cancel most services at Christmas anyway. Anthony Smith is Chief Executive of Transport Focus, an independent watchdog for transport users. Anthony, it's normally pretty miserable, I know, because I often use trains at Christmas. Um, there's often very few services at all, Christmas Day or Boxing Day, and now it seems Omicron's going to be a reason to, to restrict services even further. I think the key thing, Andrew, is for passengers this year, as actually in every year, is check ahead and just check the information. Make sure that the train you were aiming to get is running. Make sure it's running on time. Give yourself plenty of time and possibly just pack a thermos just in case. <laughs> That's interesting advice. But I think the, currently around one in 20 services have been cancelled in the past week, which is up for an average of one in 40. Yes, what passengers want, and our research clearly shows this, and what we all know from our experience of using the trains is, above all else, we want them to be reliable. We want them to leave on time. We want them to arrive on time. So something like the spread of this virus, which really attacks the kind of predictability of the railway in terms of where the trains are and where the staff are, is a real nightmare at this time of year. But train companies can do three things to help passengers, one of which is top quality, up-to-date, useful information on the website, on the phone calls or wherever. Secondly, have staff at the big stations on hand to help. People like a human being in a crisis. They don't want to talk to a machine or a chatbot. They want to talk to a human being. And thirdly, train companies, they've already done really sensible things like saying you can catch earlier or later trains than the one you're actually booked on. You can um, get your, you can change your ticket if you're booked on a train with out the booking fee so be generous at this time of year and what have 
um, the idea they could even put on extra carriages, Anthony, if trains are being cancelled, the trains that are running, could they put on extra carriages to take up the slack? Because a lot of people will be going on trains running up to Christmas. The uh, putting extra carriages on is curiously difficult on the modern railway because they tend to run as um, coaches which are sort of locked in formation and all the software is locked together. So they can't just bolt on some extra carriages like they used to do in the steam days or whatever, unfortunately. But what they can do is make sure that what is advertised as running is reliable. That stops disruption, that keeps people on the way home and that keeps people feeling calm about their travels. And where is the best place to get up-to-date information on trains, Anthony? Is it, is it National Rail Inquiries do we, or do we go on train line? What do we do? I think the best place, the one that I always use, is National Rail Inquiries. That has the information for all of the train operators. And if you're changing trains onto different train companies or whatever, you need to know exactly what, um, you know, what the situation is across the board. And they do have a good sort of um, alert service on um, Messenger, which you can sign up to for your train, which will keep you informed the whole way through. So that's where I get my information from. And just finally, are you going anywhere on the train this holiday? Yes, I am. Um, I am going up to Scotland after Christmas on Lumo, the new operator on the East Coast. So very interested to try that one out and see what happens and coming back on Avanti um, just after New Year. So fingers crossed. Let's hope all goes well. I'm travelling I'm traveling to the West Country, so um, Great Western, got put pinning my hopes on them. That's Anthony Smith, who's <laughs> Chief Executive of Transport Focus, which is an independent watchdog for transport users. Sports time, so time to talk with Tim Nichols, who is, of course, the Deputy Sports Editor. Tim, we can't escape COVID in any part of our life, it seems, not least uh, in the football season. Absolutely. Uh, once again, it's, it's, uh, it's rearing its head, as we all know, and, and, and football is not immune to it. Um, League Cup quarterfinals go ahead uh, shortly. Um, there was a game last night at Arsenal, lots of, lots of people piling into the grounds just before Christmas. So There's going to be a lot of sort of nervy, nervy fans awaiting their sort of um, lateral flow test results tomorrow. They don't want to be ruining Christmas. But it, it's been, it, it's a really tricky time for football because, you know, everyone's going through difficult times at the moment. But in terms of the sporting aspect of it, you've already had a number of games called off due to COVID outbreaks at clubs. Some, some managers and players want, wanted this a pause, a festive firebreaker, if you like, lose one or two rounds of, of fixtures and, and play them later in the season. Um, that was rejected by the Premier League at their meeting on Monday, and they are going to carry on as normal. Now, obviously, I think every executive at the Premier League, in the Premier League clubs is going to await uh, any further news from the government uh, in terms of restrictions. You know, they, that nervously because what they don't want is to be returning to a situation where games are being played behind closed doors. Which, let's not forget, was how the 2019-2020 season finished. The vast majority of last season, 2020-21, was behind closed doors. Uh, very limited numbers for the last couple of games. But other than that, I mean, it was behind closed doors. And it's a different game. It's, 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 it's you know, the fans miss out, the players miss out, everybody misses out on that. But of course, you know, public safety is, is paramount. Uh, but, you know, you've had Arsenal manager Mikel Arteta speaking this morning um, about that, about how they're desperate not to go behind closed doors. Uh, and Liverpool captain Jordan Henderson um, expressing concerns for the players' welfare because they are being played, you know, this is a particularly busy time of the season. 
Um, the players are, you know, in action every two or three days. And obviously, with people isolating, with people suffering from COVID, plus the normal illnesses people get this time of year and injuries that footballers get means that there's some very threadbare squads around. And, and the games are perhaps being a little bit distorted. I don't think that the Liverpool-Tottenham game on Sunday, would have, neither team were at full strength, for, for example. Um, and there's a lot of concern at the moment in, in, around the clubs uh, and the Premier League. But, you know, the, the universal feeling about the Premier League and the executives is we crack on, we keep going, we do not want to pause. Because, of course, Andrew, if you pause, when do you resume? I just finally, Tim, didn't I read a, a statistic in the mail? An alarming number of Premier League footballers who've not been vaccinated. Yeah, that is the case. I mean, uh, the last official figures, I believe, were in October, which was 68%. I think they've managed to get them up to closer to sort of 75%, which doesn't sound too bad. It's sort of in line with the rest of the population. But when you compare with footballers in Spain and Italy and Germany who are up in the high 90s, you know, I think um, uh, in Italy it's 98%. You know, I think that is something, it's just not a good look for football. Everybody bent over backwards to make sure the football carried on while, you know, it, it provided a, an important service for people at the time where everyone was stuck at home and we appreciated having the games on. Um, but, of course, for those players then to turn around and say, well, I'm not going to have the jab and put, potentially this game's going to be called off. And don't forget, some of these games that were called off last week were very late notice, two and a half hours before kickoff. Now, for the travelling fans, People have already set off. People have already paid for trains. They're not going to get that money back. Um, so it's a bit rich for players to then say, well, I'm not going to get jabbed when, um, you know, really everybody has bent over, like I said, to make to keep football, keep the show on the road. Uh, and I think really, you know, there's a, there's a moral aspect to it as well. But I think they've got a duty to, to the fans and everybody else to, to get jabbed, as some players and managers are coming out and saying now, because they need to keep this show on the road. They, they can't afford to, to stop and have another pause like we had at the beginning of the, out, uh, of the pandemic. We've got World Cups coming up. That, you know, the f- football is relentless. It never stops. The sporting calendar ne- never stops. And so, you know, everything's been done to keep going. And so, really, it, 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 from a, you know, as, as uh, often you guys like to say, that the optics, the optics are not good, Andrew. The optics are not good when Premier League players are not getting the jab, particularly when they are... Um, that their argument is based on Dr. Facebook and ridiculous conspiracy theories. Absolutely right, Tim. Quite right, too. That's Tim Nichols, who's Deputy Sports Editor here at the Daily Mail. So Christmas notoriously busy at the best of time for postal workers. Uh, but this year, more people than ever are relying on the Internet for their Christmas shopping uh, because of COVID and the, poss- the, the, the difficulties of going out shopping, social distancing and all the rest. So what if your parcels arrive late or go missing altogether? Money Mail reporter Amelia Murray's here to answer some of those questions for us. Amelia, I've heard stories of people saying they know stuff's been delivered and it's pinched off people's doorsteps. How do, how do you deal with that in the first place? What's the what's the what's the answer? So, as you know, over the past eighteen months, um, on deliveries from shopping have been a lifeline, and I think many people who were never kind of online shoppers before have found themselves doing so. But with it, has has definitely brought a new kind of range of problems. So, you know, you've always had it where perhaps like someone who's a bit busy you know it's not actually the fault of these um, delivery drivers they're under insane targets especially in the run-up to Christmas Um, we've heard reports of you know 
people having um, parcels like thrown over the fence or kind of left on the doorstep. Um, the knock and run where someone, you know, they're under such these, yeah. you know, extreme targets where they'll just ring the doorbell and leave it on the doorstep, um, which means it's kind of open for anyone to take. They might leave it in a shed, which you haven't given permission for it to be left. You know, these are kind of safe places that you haven't consented to. And of course, then, you know, they're vulnerable. So essentially with these uh, kind of problems, your, your contract under the Consumer um, Rights Act is with the retailer. So if you're ordering off Amazon, if you're ordering from Marks & Spencer, you need to take up your complaint with them. And in turn, they need to resolve it with you, but also they can then investigate with the courier firm. Um, I think what people are also very worried about in the run-up to Christmas is, is things not arriving late. It's things arriving late when they've paid, especially for you know, a guaranteed delivery. And again, some retailers, for example, Amazon, do give you this kind of promise of when a parcel will arrive by. If it doesn't arrive by that day, you do have the right to complain and you should be refunded the cost of you know, the extra postage that you paid. Of course, that's not really that reassuring if you're waiting for something special for perhaps a relative that you haven't seen in a long time. Um, so, I mean, but that's kind of, that's where you're, you're at with this. With lost parcels, um, and things going missing, again, you have the right to complain here because if you haven't given permission for it to be dumped on your doorstep or chucked over your fence, which I don't think people would, um, you know, that, that shouldn't really be happening. It was extraordinary. I got, I got a text the other day. Somebody had uh, delivered something which I wasn't expecting and they said, you, you'll have received a photograph. I, yeah, I got a photograph of the parcel half in my letterbox and half out. So telling the world I wasn't in. How helpful is that? Yeah, exactly. Another thing that's come up quite a lot is when you are actually in and the delivery firm has made no effort to contact you. Lots yeah. of people, you know, taking time off work or just being in for waiting for something important. And, you know, they, no one's bothered to ring your doorbell, give you a call or knock on the door. You've just got that, uh, that you know, missed delivery note for your letterbox. Um, again, that's something you need to take up with the retailer and you know you're well within your rights to ask for an immediate redelivery if you know if you have been in and you can prove it these days people have you know video um video kind of uh doorbells and you know if you can show that they've made no effort to, to ring the doorbell you've got proof there um and you know really they should be kind of doing what they're, they're promising to do and um, I guess just finally, Amelia, the amount of um, business these courier companies and delivery companies have done this year must have exceeded all records in, from the past because because of COVID. It's very likely, but then you've also got real problems that have emerged because of COVID. So last week, Royal Mail warned that about delays in 23 locations because of staff being offered sickness with COVID and having to right. self-isolate. We've had yeah. um, an HGV lorry driver shortage for some time, which has only been exacerbated by the virus. So we've got this perfect storm of increased pressure because of Christmas, increased pressure because of people shielding or not wanting to go out, so relying on online shopping. But then also, you know, the wave of the latest variant hitting staff in these areas. Um, so I think it is, it's difficult for everyone certainly is and it's going to be very difficult for me if the parcel i'm expecting doesn't arrive in the next 24 hours because i'm going to be in pop, very unpopular with somebody on christmas day 
<laughs> I just have to nip out to Boots or Superdrug and pick up a gift set. <laughs> <laughs> That's the answer. Like, That's it. Like shower gel? <laughs> Yeah, that'll do. Yeah, shower gel. You can't go wrong with shower gel, can you? Yeah. And it, and, it, and it is for a bloke, so they do all sorts of masculine ranges. That's Amelia Murray, who is our rather fabulous money mail reporter, talking about the problems and what you should do if packages go astray, go missing, or arrive late. Thanks for joining us. That's all we've got time for today. For the latest from the Daily Mail, download the Mail Plus app. Every weekday at 5pm, you can listen to me all over again. I am Andrew Pierce. This is The Andrew Pierce Show. I'm going to be back tomorrow. Have yourselves a great evening and good night. <laughs>